Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Glad you are with us. We're in part two of this series called It's Complicated Mm -hmm. uh, that I'm teaching with my wife. And so if you weren't here last week, not every series uh, builds. This one kind of does at least the first two weeks, and then we'll kind of shift directions next week. But we started this whole idea that relationships are complicated, which you already know. Work relationships, friends, um, you know, you're married, boyfriend, girlfriend, your in-laws, siblings. I mean, every relationship. And they're complicated because different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, and everybody's got a different vision for their future and what they want things to look like. Different hopes, different dreams, different desires. And you're bringing those into a relationship and seldom are they the same. I mean, they just generally do not match up. And generally they're coming from what you've observed, what you've experienced, and then you start to cultivate kind of this ideal that you have for these different relationships in your life. And a lot of times what we try to do is avoid things Mm -hmm. that we've seen negatively, like I don't want to do that, I don't want to repeat those mistakes, or we try to recreate. Like we see something really good and you're like, that's what I want, that's how it should work, that's what I want my relationships to look like. And what we said last week is even on the positive side of wanting to recreate something good, it still can subtly become my hopes, my dreams, my desires that you bring into a relationship without knowing it, you hand it off to somebody else and you're like, could you fulfill these for me? (laughs) Could you make all my dreams come true? And we're not going to say that, but it's kind of what we have in the back of our mind. And the thing is, we always think that our hopes, dreams, and desires are right because they're ours. So we mm-hmm. looked at a bunch of them last week, like how we should handle money. And you're like, how you handle conflict is stupid. You should do it how we did it. And we're never going to get a minivan. And here's how like it should work. And here's my ideal. And, and friendship, here's how that should go. And you know, the marketplace, here's how things should operate. And, and we just think like, you should come over to my side because how could you not want to get on board mm-hmm. with my plan? Mm-hmm. Like these are great hopes, dreams, and desires. But They don't see it that way. So we bring it into a relationship, and on the other side, it just feels like expectations to the other person or the other people. It just, a lot in a lot of cases, feels like pressure. Mm -hmm. And so here is our definition of expectations. It's the strong belief that something will happen or will come true in the future. So it's not even so much like it's it's happening right now, but it's like, well, eventually you'll get together. Eventually we'll start this. And so it's always tied to in the future, not, you know, you. No, no, no. I'm just laughing because you Um, jumped over. You know, we're going to get to that place and we're going to, kind of get to what we agreed, hoped on, you know, all of us, you know, talked about it. But again, for the other person, it just feels like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And like last week, we talked about a lot of like tangible things, right? Like cars, houses, budgets, things like that. But what do we do with the intangible things, right? So um, for instance, like we want to be respected. We want to be desired. We want to be admired, cherished, protected, defended, trusted, prioritized, pursued, attracted. We want all of those things. Um, And those things are really good for us to have. In fact, I think I would argue to say, like, if we're not having those, we're not thriving, right? As individuals, as human beings, we need those things, respect, desire, admiration, being cherished, protected to thrive and survive in our relationships. Um, 
But what do we do when we're not receiving those? And so this is what we talked about last week is that, number one, we have to decide to go first, decide that someone does not owe us those things. And then we enter into the submission competition and we ask ourselves, okay, well, we don't know what to do. What does love demand Mm -hmm. of you? Mm-hmm. But we said last week that we said this statement as well. We said, holding back in relationships because of fear of what might happen only ensures it will happen, right? When we decide to go first, when we decide someone doesn't owe us, when we enter into this submission competition, when we ask ourselves the question, you know, and I'm not sure what to do, what does love demand of you? Those are really scary things mm-hmm. to ask ourselves and to do because we're not guaranteed that we're going to receive respect, desire, admiration, be cherished, protected. We're not you know, absolutely certain that the person is going to give those back to us. And so that's why we talked about the fear. And then that's also why we said that we have to lean into what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? Who Jesus says we are, our identity has to be built on him. And I, you know, I will say this, in our first like year or two of marriage, one of the reasons why we almost did not make it out was because I was placing my identity on Bryant. Is he giving me the love I need? Is he giving me the protection I need? Is he giving me the support I need? Is he reassuring me that I'm okay? Because previous relationships had taken Taken, had, had, had almost t- torn that down for me. And so I was looking for him to supply that. And when you do that, that is when the other person starts to just kind of wear out because you weren't designed. He was not designed to be my identity, right? We were created in the image of God. We aren't created in the image of other people. We were created in the image of God, and we've got to lean into Jesus and and in his love and his acceptance and his worth and his security to fill us with those Mm -hmm. things. And then as a result, what we said last week, we can be the gospel for somebody else, but only when we're centered in that. So this week, we're really going to talk about the nuts and bolts of how do we do that, right? Because that sounds awesome. It sounds awesome to have Jesus Christ be our identity. That sounds like a really good plan. But it sounds very ethereal and over-spiritual. Some, some of it doesn't sound awesome. This is where we tried to be um, yeah. really up front last week because you're like, well, that if you knew my story and what yeah. she did and how crazy he is, like, I'm never doing that. Yeah. Because, like, if I just, just kind of submit those things or I try to put them first, you have no idea what's going to happen to me. And that's always the pushback. Yeah. What we said last week, though, is it is our best play. Because here's the thing. When it all becomes about expectations, it eventually becomes a debt-debtor relationship. Mm-hmm. It's I owe you, you owe me. And in those types of relationships, you get down to the place where the best negotiator wins. And anytime you win in a relationship, you know this already, the relationship loses. Like, it's just not going to go well. But you get into this thing of like, well, but we said and we decided and here's what you've always done. And in those relationships, gratitude is rarely expressed mm. because you rarely express gratitude among things that you have come to expect. And so what we said last week is the danger in that is I owe you eventually replaces I love you. And it removes the ability for unconditional love to be recognized and appreciated. And I just want to say this and we'll move on to where we're going today. That is such a big deal because for some of you, you are working as hard as you can to restore a relationship, Mm -hmm. to reconcile a relationship, to get it back to a good place. And with all of your heart, you're trying to express your love and Mm -hmm. commitment to another person. And it's just like they're not receiving it and you can't figure out what's going on and what may be going on is your relationship moved to a bunch of expectations of I owe yeah. you and you owe me. And now anytime you try to express what your heart feels, they're not receiving it that way because you're just getting back to the even line of like, yeah, you should have done that. That's what I expected of you. Mm-hmm. Why did it take you so long? And so it literally removes the ability to receive and to express unconditional love. It's a huge deal. And Jesus is going. I know it's counterintuitive. Giving your life away and finding it, you know, surrendering a relationship and finding it 
does not seem like it's going to work. It's your best play. Yep. And so yep. then Peter comes along, and maybe you know his story. Um, Peter, I love the realness of him throughout the New Testament. Yes. Dude cannot shut his mouth ever. Overpromises, underdelivers again and again. And I'm not throwing shade at Peter. I like relate to Peter. And so he gets, in fact, my favorite moment is when Peter has this huge answer to like a defining question for all time when Jesus says, hey, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter turns around, he's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, amazing. A couple <laughs> chapters later, he's like, you're Satan, get behind me. Yes. Like that's Peter's journey. One minute, I mean, he's on top of the world. The next minute, Jesus is calling him the devil, if you've ever read those passages. And so he's all over the place. And yet he experiences so much he follows Jesus and is with Jesus for several years. He knows what it's like for stuff to hit the fan. Mm. In fact, at the end of his life, he's crucified by Nero. Mm -hmm. And Peter gives us this profound, this extraordinary relational principle that really goes to every area and every relational principle. But here's my warning. We'll get to it in a second. It's going to seem a little weird, as many things do in the scriptures. So if you're figuring this out, not sure if I have faith, not sure about Jesus, I'll just give you that. And, and in fact, you don't have to apply any of this. So just yeah. do whatever you want with it. But it's going to sound a little weird. It's going to sound a little over-spiritual. So here's what I want you to do is <laughs> I want you to suspend your skepticism for like next 15 minutes. Yep. And then I'll tell you, you can pick it back up when we're done. All right? just, I'm just asking you to suspend it for like 15 minutes because what Peter says is so powerful. It has the potential, seriously, to change everything. Mm -hmm. And then here's the other question I would ask, though, because again, some of it's going to sound a little like, oh, are you serious? But what are your other options? Because that's the question that you got to yeah. answer in relationship. And you have teed me up so well, babe. That was great. I feel like I did. Yeah, so. you really did. Um, it was that. almost awkward. But yes, there are several different options you have if you choose not to do it God's way, right? So the first one is, is that you can ignore your hopes, dreams, and desires. Um, you can pretend like they don't exist. That gets incredibly exhausting. Um, and you will stuff, 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 and then at some point you will explode. So, or you just be exhausted. Um, right, which is what I just said. But yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just want to emphasize that yes, point. It's exhausting. Babe. Yes. We have two very different ways of preparing for messages. And um, boy, do those differences come glaring at us <laughs> when we try to do this. So, yes, thank you, babe. <clears throat> You We're will only be 10 exhausted. Minutes of this message, okay. Did I annoy you already? Yes, you I have. Okay, all right. Thoroughly. Cool. Um, the next thing <laughs> is that. Woo, What's the next thing? You Tom? stay busy, babe. You stay busy. Would you like to? You want to no, take kidding. it? No, okay. No, okay. This was in our notes for me to take, but you're more than welcome to. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. So you stay busy, um, and so for me, one of the things is is like I battle with anxiety, right? And so I have a busy schedule. We have four kids. Um, stuff we're doing here at church. Very busy. Um, I'm not saying you cannot be busy, but when I'm filling every single moment of my day with busyness and activity, I usually, that's usually a red flag that I am being anxious, that I am struggling with my anxiety um, because I'm trying to overcompensate. I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid to be quiet. Um, we tend to do this with our kids, right? Um, I am getting more and more uh, burdened about the fact that our kids don't actually have time to be kids. They don't have the time to go outside and just play for hours. They don't have the time to be bored, which is really good for their creativity and their imaginations. They don't have the time to be creative and artistic and those sorts of things because we've scheduled them out so much. Um, but we stay busy. This is when sometimes we dive into our career, when we get into a bad habit, when we isolate ourselves. Proverbs 18 says it's not good for us to be alone, to isolate ourselves. This is a lot of times when we turn back to addiction. Mm-hmm. 
because we're trying to overcompensate um, and deal with the fact that our hopes, dreams, and desires aren't getting met. Or we find someone else, right? And we can do this in almost every relationship except in our parent-child relationships because whoever you've been given as a parent, you are stuck with. Um, and I mean that lovingly, okay? Like, I love who we've been God's stuck with. Plan, yes. But in God's sovereign plan, you are stuck with your children. Um, but what you can tend to do is favor a child, right? So if your other children aren't fulfilling your hopes, dreams, and desires, you can go to that one overachieving um, people-pleasing child and place all of your hopes, dreams, and desires on that one child. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about, right? Either that was you or one of your siblings um, in your home. And so we tend to do that with our kids. So, But here's the problem. Wherever you go, all right, so if you start looking for a new relationship, wherever you go, there you go, right? And so all those hopes, dreams, and desires that turn into expectations in your previous relationships, you leave that relationship and you go to a new one, you're taking that same box with you. You lug what you load. And rarely do we go into another relationship looking to be selfless. In fact, we're going into new relationships saying, my previous relationships didn't meet my expectations. They didn't take care of my hopes, dreams, and desires. So I'm hoping that this new relationship will meet my hopes, dreams, and desires. We said this. We're not rushing into a new relationship because we're eager to give our lives away, right? We're rushing into a new relationship to get what we haven't gotten in our yeah. previous relationships. And I would just say specifically to focus on like maybe dating relationship, romantic relationship. This is just a true statement. Um, you are seeing a version of them during that period of time that you are never going to see again. <laughs> I don't know if you're like trying to get personal at me. No, but I'm not at all. I, okay. They probably feel like it. Yeah. Because so, that um, dramatic pause. But for real. And that's not like they're trying to be shady. I feel like I've only gotten better, they're, to be honest. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred um, <laughs> percent. Thank you. But. You, like, on the other hand. It's not like shady. It's not like, I've seen ignore that and keep going. Um, or they're trying to hide something. It's just the nature of yeah. relationship. Like everybody's different. People are complicated. Um, you know, idiosyncrasies, all of that. And so it's just the nature of relationships is you're getting the best version. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to understand is rarely are we looking around at another, let, like, let's move, let's go find over here with, with the thought in mind of like, how can I go be selfless yeah, with them? Yep. How can I go give, like, <clears throat> that's never a thought. Instead, it's how can I pick up my box without realizing it and bring it over to somebody else yeah. for them to fulfill my hopes, my dreams and my desires, because that's just kind of intuitively how we think. How can I get mine? And Jesus' upside-down counterintuitive kingdom is, no, no, no. You want to find life, give it away. If you want great relationship, it's really about submitting your hopes, dreams, and desires to somebody else, which just does not sound right on the front end. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is going, I'm telling you, trust me, it is the way forward. And so this is just an observation of like, you should just pause for a second before you're ready to move into another thing. Mm -hmm. Because generally it's just about how do I get my needs met that I wasn't getting met before? And what makes you think that that new environment or new person is going to be able to carry what somebody else couldn't carry? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you need to take a second and just ask yourself, like, is everyone who's in relationship with you exhausted, right? Because if they're all exhausted, that's a tall tale sign that you are being demanding and you are looking for your hopes, dreams, and desires from everybody else instead of from your Heavenly Father. And then just two really practical things regarding, like, um, romantic relationships. So the first is, is, like, we live in a real world where there is divorce and remarriage, Right. And for those of you who have gone through a divorce, first of all, I, I just want to say I'm so sorry because I know 
not personally, but I know from being in relationship with other people who've walked through divorce, how heart-wrenching and horrific that can be. What I want to encourage you, though, is before you get into another relationship, because I think there can be redeeming second marriages, right? Second marriage grace. I, I really believe in that. But before you jump into a second marriage or a third marriage or a fourth marriage, you need to just take a second, get yourself into therapy, Figure out, okay, are you just jumping from marriage to marriage because you're looking for your hopes, dreams, and desires to get met by different people? Or are you really dealing with these unmet expectations and the hurt and the pain so that you can go into a new relationship actually trying to be selfless, ready to be in the submission competition, ready to ask yourself, what does love demand of me? And we like to tell people, before you jump into another relationship, you need to take a solid good two years to really work on yourself, settle what happened in that previous marriage, to be the ultimate healthy version of yourself before you get into another relationship. And that's really hard for people to hear, but it's honestly a really good guardrail to make sure you have dealt with what you've needed to deal with in your own life. Um, and then... And I'll get, I'll just say nobody, yes. nobody loves that advice. No. And the only reason I say two years is because nobody will do five years because they're like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And I get it. I understand why. But I, I would just add this to it. This is just a dynamic in life. Like yeah. a while back, I have a finger. It's about to fall off a fingernail because I slammed a hammer on it accidentally. I won't tell you that whole story. Um, and luckily, nobody else was around because in that moment when I felt that pain, I was not feeling very selfless. I wasn't <laughs> feeling, how can I go serve somebody else? Yeah. I wasn't thinking about my language. I was just thinking about my fingers about to fall off. I am in so much pain. That's all I can think about because that is the nature of pain. When you are in pain, you are self-absorbed. Yeah. And that's not like, that, that's not even a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. And so the same is true relationally. When you have been hurt, when you're in pain, when you've, when you've dealt with maybe the death of some hopes, dreams, and desires, you have got to give yourself some time. And this is true, again, in multiple relationships in your life before you move to the next thing, because no matter how spiritual you are or how legit you think you are, mm -hmm. if you have been in pain, there is a level of self-absorption that you're taking somewhere else and you're not even in the place yeah. to be able to give give your life away to somebody else. And, and I would say too, if you are having trouble in a relationship, well, if you're, if you're in serial relationships where you cannot con connect on a deep level, then I think you need to ask yourself this, like why? Why can I not connect? Why can't I connect with my friends? Why can't I connect with my coworkers? Why can't I connect with my children in my romantic relationships? Why am I having trouble going deep with them? Um, why am I having issues communicating, being vulnerable, being intimate, not sexually, but just even intimate um, in, in a friendship level? Because there's something maybe that you are trying to protect inside. Maybe you've put up some walls. Um, it's more than just being introverted. Okay, I get, you know, and I talked about this last week, being an extrovert, coming into Brian's very introverted family um, and just blowing them up, right? Um, it's more than just being introverted, but th there's got to be a reason as to why you are not able to go deeper in relationships. Um, and it's really important to try to figure out why. But what does Peter say? We've gone through all the reasons. Yeah, so what, the, that set up to options. where I started with. He, here's what Peter, Peter basically answers the question, so what do I do? And so here's the part of like for the next 10 minutes, suspend your judgment, your skepticism, <laughs> and then I'll tell you when to pick it back up again, yep. and that's fine. You can take it out of here with you. But I, it feels a little unspiritual, but I'm telling you what Peter says is so powerful. In many cases, these verses have not been put to us practically, mm. but what he says is a general principle that really relates to all relationships. Yep. And in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, here's what he says. All of you, this means all of you in the Greek, 
<laughs> clothe yourselves, or literally, this is kind of your identity or who you are, and you should behave or act out of this. Yep. All of you clothe yourselves with what's the word? Humility toward one another. And we're like, that, no. Like, that doesn't sound practical enough. That's not very sexy. Like, give me some, you know, handles on how to argue well and conflict resolution or give me, like, that's what we're looking for. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, no, 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 this is the starting place. And this is every relationship. This is sibling relationships. This is your in-laws. This is a marriage relationship. This is work. This is friends. This is your accountant. This is whoever you want to apply this to. This is every relationship. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And we know, know what humility is. It's yeah. You first, me second. Mm-hmm. I'm going to submit some of my hopes and my dreams and my desires to yours, which is really difficult. And again, immediately you're like, yeah, but you don't understand. And they're crazy. And if I did that, what's going to happen to me? And all the history. I get it. I understand it. I understand why we're so scared to do that. Yeah. But Peter's like, clothe yourself in humility. Them first, you second. And here's the thing. Our default is I'm going to protect. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay And what we don't realize is that when you are in any relationship and you are protecting and defending and making sure that you are okay, it shuts the door to intimacy in those relationships. Again, sexual intimacy, just connection in relationship, because when you are on guard, you are not available. Part of you is not available to someone else. Mm -hmm. It's going, "I I want you to humble yourself. And here's the other thing. The question is just in every interaction, in every circumstance, to just... Ask yourself maybe internally, what would a humble person do? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I'm not humble. I need to pray about that more. And I need you. No, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. We are so tied to our emotions. If you would do what a humble person would do after time, what you do will begin to translate into how you feel. Yes. And so you don't have to feel this. You don't have to be this. You just have to do this. And especially as you connect it in relationship with Jesus, to, as you lean in to go, okay, Jesus is amazing. He is incredible. If I'm a follower of Jesus, he has saved me, redeemed me. In comparison, I'm not that great. Mm-hmm. It's not a lack of self-worth or identity. It's just, in comp- I'm not Jesus. And so in comparison to him, I have every reason to be humble to other image bearers I'm in relationship with. So Peter says to us, this is everybody. Everybody can do this. Do until you feel it. Mm -hmm. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And then he says this, man, and this is a little in your face and a little harsh, because God opposes. Mm. Dang, Peter. God opposes the proud. Basically, when we fail to humble ourselves or put somebody else before us in relationship, the translation to God is, apparently you've got this. And if you think you've got this, I'm going to let you go because God is never going to force his will or his way on us. And the thing is, before you think that's too harsh, you do the same thing. Because when you are in relationship with somebody who is arrogant, this is just human nature, you withdraw from the relationship. Mm And the same is true with us. And so God says, listen, I'm going to let you do your thing. And in fact, I'm even going to oppose it, meaning what you're praying for and asking for and and where you're trying to uncomplicate things, you're never going to get there because humility in a relationship is the way forward. Let me explain it this way. Here's why it's so powerful. 
as you do unto others, it's as if you're doing it unto God, right? Mm -hmm. New Testament, new covenant command where no longer can you go check a box, went, worship music, sat in a row, sang a song, learned a verse, and then I can go my way, treat people however I want and go like, God, are we cool? God's like, we're not cool. We're not cool until you're cool with the people you're in Mm -hmm. relationship with. Mm -hmm. That's the New Testament ethic. Love others the way that I've loved you. So when I love you, another image bearer, it's as if I'm loving God. Mm -hmm. What I do unto you, it's as if I'm doing it unto God. When I humble myself to you, it's as if I'm humbling myself to God. There is a direct connection. And he's going, when you do that, we're in business. Because the next part, he says, I oppose the proud, but I show favor, Mm. grace to the humble. Because humility in a relationship is not just about the relationship. It invites God's power, God's protection, and God's intervention into the relationship. Mm -hmm. It is an invitation for God to move. Mm. And as long as you're coercing and controlling and trying to argue your way into the future that you want, God's going, I'm not, I'm not in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not bringing that. But when you will decide you're going to humble yourself to them, which is the same as humbling yourself to me, I'm bringing all of my power mm-hmm. into that relationship to potentially heal, redeem, restore, and reconcile. But it's the only way. That's good. Close yourself with humility. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble that in due time he may lift you up, meaning Mm. there is no guarantee because it takes two people in a relationship. But the promise is you may walk away from the relationship and the relationship may not be healthy, but you will be. In the right time, God will sustain you. God will go with you. God will lift you up. God will lift you out. And then he summarizes it. And Peter's like, let me just put it at, at street level. Um, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, because when you place yourself in humility in a relationship, it's as if you're placing yourself under the power and the intervention, protection of God, that he may lift you up. And then here's kind of the kicker. This is what Peter is inviting us into, and more importantly, what your heavenly Father is inviting you into. Cast all of your what? All right, a little, little better than that. That was two of you, now the rest of you. Cast all of your what? Anxiety, basically. Cast all of your crushed dreams. Cast all of your broken promises. Cast all of your dead or dying hopes, all your vision for the future. Cast all of your cares or all of your anxiety on me. Translation, basically, this is God's invitation to go, I want you to unload all of that onto me. And here's the thing. For some of you who grew up in the church, you've heard this verse a hundred times and you've never done this. And I'll tell you what I think, and I'll try not to rant on this, and we'll just move on. This is, this is my opinion. I think one of the greatest obstacles to us in terms of following Jesus, one of the greatest obstacles to doing what this verse says is we are way too polite and we are way too formal in the way that we pray. Yeah. And for some of you, that was how you were raised. And this is a complete deviation from that because God's going, I want everything that is inside of you. And in fact, some of it, you've actually unloaded to the other person. God's going, I want you to unload that to me first. I want you to tell me how angry that you are, how crazy they are, how crushed you are, how you want God to rain down fire from heaven on them, how you (laughs) want all of this to go, how mad that it hasn't happened. I want all of that to come to me. And I'm just telling you, this is the invitation. Sometimes you need to pray prayers that are a little R-rated, that nobody you don't want anybody else to hear. It's very raw because all of that stuff is in you. You're like, well, can we do that with God? It may be the most honoring Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. with God that you have ever had. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think like a lot of us have baggage with this verse, right? Cast all your anxiety on him, blah, blah, blah. Because some of us have some real anxiety disorders, right? If you're like me, I have a real anxiety disorder. Um, I'm in therapy. I'm on medication. And people have tried to use this verse to me before. of like, well, just pray to God and he'll take it away, right? Just cast it on him and it'll all be okay. And um, what I want to say is this, is that, yes, <laughs> This side of heaven, he may not remove your anxiety disorder. He's chosen not to remove my anxiety disorder. But we can get to a place of health. And it actually does start with this verse. Because some of you are trying to white knuckle your circumstances, your mental illness, whatever it is. And you're fighting against God with it. And he wants you to open your hands and to release it to him. And the moment we begin to do that is when we experience this humility and we begin to pray these honest prayers and God does his best work. But some of us have to honestly get to a posture physically so that our spiritual and emotional sides can follow. And we read this book by Bob Goff. It's called Love Does. Mm -hmm. He was a, he's a lawyer, and he talks about anytime he goes into a deposition, he tells people, keep your hands open under the table, just like this, because when your hands are open, it kind of communicates to your brain that you're not in a fighting position, and you can humbly listen and participate in the communication and in, in the discussion. And it's funny because even when um, we're having staff meetings, and I love our staff, but I think I'm right a lot, right? And I also think I'm a very creative person, um, and sometimes the most creative person on staff. And so when I get into these, I say that sarcastically, but when I get into these meetings sometimes, I get fired up because I'm like my way or the highway people, you know, and I have to open my hands under the table and relax my body and listen to the communication and listen to the discussion so I can participate in a humble um, way. And so you also think of it this way, when kids raise their hands up for us to hold them. It's an act of humility, right? I need your help, mommy. I need your help, daddy. You know, I, I need you to be here with me. And so when we get on our knees and we lift our hands to Jesus, it is an act of humility saying we need you to enter into this circumstance in this situation. The other thing that I love practically is I love the idea of journaling, right? I don't always do it, but there are times when I am stuck, when I'm stuck emotionally, mentally, and I need to sit down, I need to open up my journal, and I need to basically word vomit into my journal. Mm -hmm. And it's actually me writing out prayers to Jesus, just being like, listen, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm stuck. It doesn't even always make sense, right? Because my brain's sometimes going faster than I can even write. But what I love about journaling is, is that you can write it out and present it before the Lord. Then I close that journal, I set it down, and I'm just like, Jesus, I've written it out, it's yours. And I can walk away from it almost thinking, okay, I've actively surrendered it to Jesus. I don't need to keep thinking about it in this moment. If there is a reason why I need to go back to it, I can later. But I've actively surrendered it to Jesus, and it's his. And so I love those ideas of whether it's getting on our knees, lifting our hands, having your hands open before Jesus, or journaling. Those are really cool ways to physically get our bodies and minds into yep. the posture of humility yep. so that our feelings can follow later. And I really do, and that may not be an everyday thing or no. a normal thing for you, but there are certain moments and things that are so big yeah. that it's, there's, it's kind of an act of desperation. And because your mind and body and soul and spirit are all connected, it really is this powerful thing to go like, I, I am dependent on God, I need God, 
and your heavenly father knows you're going to bring all of this stuff mm-hmm. somewhere. I want you to bring it to me before you open the garage door, before you walk down the hall and you're going to tell, you know, before you get into the conversation, before you rehearse all of this again and unload it on them so you feel better. He's going, I want you to bring it to me. And here's the reality. Nobody is going to be able to release the yeah. burden that you are carrying, the weight that you're carrying like your heavenly father yeah. can. And he's like, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a conversation and that things aren't a mess and maybe they are crazy. I want you to bring this to me mm. first because the act of coming to me is an act of humility that invites the power and the presence and even the peace of God in a way that you haven't been able to experience it before. When I think it too, it's a reminder to you that this person cannot meet those greatest needs, right? Only Jesus can. And I think as you remind yourself of that, it takes the pressure off of that relationship. Because now maybe it's a conversation of, hey, can we work through this together? Instead of you aren't, you can't, you didn't. Um, and so just taking it to yeah. Jesus is just a reminder that he is the only one that can fulfill those deepest needs. And it does help you kind of recalibrate before yeah. you enter. Because we're not saying discussions shouldn't happen, right? We're not saying there shouldn't be conversations. But you're going to set the tone of that conversation um, and ultimately set the tone for the rest of the relationship depending on how you enter it. Yeah. Um, a couple of verses that I just wanted to share with you real quick. One time, Peter, who just wrote these verses we were talking about, uh, was with Jesus and Jesus' disciples, and they were listening to Jesus pray. And after they heard Jesus, they were like, we don't pray like that. <laughs> so like, teach us how to do that the way you do it. And so Jesus does. And later on, when Peter writes this down, it's out of that experience with, with Jesus, the whole mm-hmm. cast, your cares, your anxiety. And what's so interesting is that Peter actually, when he writes this, he pulls a line out of a journal entry from David, King uh. David, second king of Israel, anointed by God. And he, he pulls this language out that really expresses what God's talking about when he invites us into this. And I just want to say this to you. If you're skeptical, if you're deconstructing faith, if you're angry at God, if you have questions, all of those questions, deconstruction and anger, David already wrote about in the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah. You should read his writings. Like all, None of it's new. If you're wondering, well, can I be angry? Can I deconstruct? Can I ask big questions? It's already done. In fact, mm-hmm. it was recorded in the scripture, which actually gives it authenticity because somebody has already walked through what you're walking through. Mm-hmm. And so David basically journals and rants over and over again. And so Peter pulls out some of these words, and this is an illustration about what this kind of praying looks like that may be the catalyst for you in your relationship. Psalm 55, 12, I'll just read it quick. If an enemy, this is David writing during a really dark time. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. Basically, somebody I don't know, no big deal. Twitter troll, no big deal, I can move on. But verse 13, but it's you. It's a man like myself or a woman like myself, my companion, my close friend. Basically, those thoughts of I can't believe she would do this. Mm -hmm. I can't believe he would do this after all that we've been through. Because the people who are closest to you are generally the people that are going to hurt you the most for the reason that they are the closest to you. And David keeps going. He journals and he says, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Basically, we even went to church together. We went to church together. We had huge Bibles. There were stick figures bowing down to the cross in the back of our minivan. We looked the part. We were amazing. I can't believe we would end up here. I can't believe that you would do this. And then verse 15. This is so honest. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds lodging among them. Okay. The, The equivalent is basically... David going to hell with them. Mm -hmm. Like, well, can I pray that way? 
It might be the first honest prayer you've prayed in a long time. Yeah. And David keeps going. He ain't done. He's like, verse 16, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, noon. Basically, it's not a drive-by prayer. This is not on the way to work real quick. This is, I'm so desperate. It's evening, morning, noon. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress. Mm. And he hears my, Mm. not thoughts, There are sometimes it is so desperate, your thoughts aren't enough. Like, I have to pray this out loud. Sometimes it might get a little loud. I don't want anybody else to hear me, but David's like, sometimes I'm so desperate. I pray often. I pray R-rated, forget the PG prayers. And I pray in such a way that it is loud because I am so desperate for God to do something in my circumstance. And then he keeps going, he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me because it feels like war. And even though many oppose me, God who is enthroned from old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. Basically, again, David's like, God's going to get justice. And my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. Basically, she promised. He promised. They said they would always be here. They said, he said he would always be here. We agreed. His talk is as smooth as butter. Basically, they always out-argue. They always out-coerce. They're always trying to win. They're the best negotiator. Yet war is in their heart. Words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn mm. swords. Basically, that's the whole dynamic of like, yeah, but she seems so nice. He seems so nice. They're like, he's not. He's crazy. <laughs> Like, you see the outside, you, you hear what they say, they look amazing. But I'm telling you, if you knew what was behind the curtain, it's not that pretty. It's a mess. And then David, I think, in this moment, like, with all of that, he gathers himself and kind of gets his composure. And he begins to write the words that Peter would later use. And here's what I love. This next part, David doesn't go, well, I'm sorry, God, so, sorry for that. Yeah. No, no, no. That's good. David spews everything that's in him because he knows God can handle it. Yes. And then after he's done, he kind of pauses, he takes a breath, and he writes what Peter would later echo in the New Testament. Cast your cares. Yep. Basically, this is so important. David would say, what I just did. Mm. And if, you're, if you've never prayed like that, if you've never been that authentic, if you've never been angry, if you've never dropped the formality in your prayers, you have never prayed like Peter is inviting you to pray. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Mm. I love this, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay, the bloodthirsty (laughs) and deceitful will not live out their days. And if you've been in a really difficult relationship, you're like, that's the kind of prayer I'm talking about right there, (laughs) right? But come on. Again, you're like, I'm not sure. Can I pray? Authentic prayers invite intimacy. Mm. And they let God know that you're willing to trust him with everything Mm. that's inside of you because he already knows it anyway. And those kind of prayers are not nice. Mm -hmm. They're not polite. Mm -hmm. But you know what they are? They are really, really 
honest. Yeah. And your Father in heaven says, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm inviting in, you into. And you have never experienced the release of that weight that you've been carrying around these dead, maybe hopes, dreams, or desires, or maybe they're on life support. Because you've never really brought those to me like that. You've never mm. prayed like that. And that's what I'm inviting you into. Yeah, and I mean, the, the honest point is, is that you're going to unleash those feelings of disappointment, yep. bitterness, anger, um, the fact that your hopes, dreams, and desires have not been met, you're going to unleash those on someone, right? So it's either going to be the person or it's going to be on Jesus. And I think when we start to unleash our, our broken hopes, dreams, and desires on Jesus, when we start to get really honest, that's when we invite him to move. Yep. But see, authenticity and surrender go hand in hand, right? So we can't surrender without being authentic. And when we're, authentic, when we're not authentic, we're not surrendering. And so we have to be honest with how we feel. Sometimes even with, God, you let me down. You promised. I've done all the right things. I mean, we went through that. You really experienced yep. that our first year of marriage is you're like, God, I've done all the right things, you know, and you've, you know, our marriage is falling apart at the seams. I'm still doing all the right things. It's not getting better. What do I do? And so you've... You've got to unleash those broken hopes, dreams, and desires on Jesus. You've got to surrender and then watch him do his thing. And it's scary. It's really scary to admit how we feel. Some of you have been numbing your pain. You've been distracting yourself. You've been doing all the things we talked about in the beginning, ignoring, staying busy, finding someone else, because you don't want to deal with how you feel. You don't want to face the fact that you feel helpless and broken and scared and lost. Um, but the moment that you can face the reality of where you, are, where you are is the moment Jesus will start to do his thing. And I think for some of us, like, it's very difficult for us to be honest because we weren't in environments where we could be honest, right? Like, I didn't really grow up in an environment where I could be honest with how I was feeling. Um, I didn't grow up in an environment where I could ask questions, um, where I could admit that internally I was struggling, whereas externally I felt like I had it all together. And it's one reason why I had such a major breakdown um, right after we got married, because for the first time in my life, I felt very scared um, and out of control of my relationships and who I was. And so I think the best thing that you can do is really begin to trust who your heavenly father is. And if you had a really bad earthly father, this is difficult. And I always encourage people who maybe you weren't taught the actual Jesus of scripture and that's why you walked away. You didn't actually walk away from who Jesus is. You walked away from a version of Jesus that isn't correct. And so I always encourage people, if, if you're not even sure you can trust Jesus, would you just start by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I think if you can put aside your biases and just start reading those four books of the Bible, you're going to see a Jesus you maybe were never taught before, a gracious, loving, forgiving Jesus who loves broken people and the people he had the least amount of patience for, the people that he got the most aggravated with were the religious people who acted like they had it all together. He called them whitewashed tombs, right? He, they acted like they had it all together, and Jesus had no time for them. He had time for the broken people, the screwed up, messed up people that were at their absolute wit's end. And here's the thing. You're either going to humble yourself or you're going to end up humiliated. So it's your choice. You choose to humble yourself now and invite Jesus in. Or you wait until that moment when you're humiliated. And this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. He's going to come and meet you in that humiliation. But I think you'd much rather <laughs> make the choice to humble yourself now than to get to that point where you honestly don't have a choice. Um, and so it's up to you. So 
I love the rest of 1 Peter 5, 7. I'm going to take this real quick. I know yeah. it's supposed to be you, but I'm going to keep going. Um, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? <laughs> because he cares for you. And we don't have it on the screens, but if you get a chance, write down Romans 8, 38 through 39 and read that later. Because that verse talks about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Nothing. Not any of our mess-ups, none of our screw-ups, none of our broken relationships. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's why we can come so confidently to Him and pour out our hearts to Him and release this and surrender our fears and broken dreams to Him because nothing will ever be able to separate us. Not even if you pray the F word to Jesus, okay? If you have to get that real, nothing's going to separate you from Jesus, from the love of Him. He wants your realness. He wants your authenticity. He wants your surrender. The way that we would say it is, if it's important to you, I think this is the heart of your heavenly father. It's important to your father in heaven because you're important to your father in heaven. Yeah. And he knows you anyway. Yeah. And he knows your situation anyway. And what we're talking about is relationship and inviting him in. And Peter lived this because Peter ended up being just like the guy that David writes about. Yeah. Peter, who had been with Jesus, a great friend of Jesus, betrays his friend in a massive way toward the end of Jesus' life. And then Jesus comes, shows you the heart of our Savior, and he restores Peter. Mm. It's like, you're a mess. I'm going to put you in charge of the whole movement. Yeah. And Peter changes the world. And so your heavenly father says, you are going to bring this somewhere. I want you to bring this to me. Mm. And that act of humility invites me in. You know, the only thing that keeps us from relationship with God and relationship with God in heaven is just one thing. You're like, what's the big sin? Just pride. Yeah. Just pride. The, the inability to humble ourselves and go, I'm not God. I need God. Mm. I need a savior. That is the only thing that keeps you from relationship with God. And so he says, I want you to bring it all to me, to, to pray the prayers of I'm done. Yeah. I'm angry. I wish I hadn't married them. I, I, I wish that God, you would do something. I wish you would pay back. I can't stand this, but God, I need you. Mm. And what will happen is that as you humble yourself to do that, it invites God in to do something remarkable. But I just wanna warn you with this as we get ready to pray. The first remarkable thing that God will do when you begin to change your posture in that direction, the first remarkable thing that he will do is not in that other person. Yeah. The first remarkable thing that he's gonna do is something in you. Yep. And for the first time, you may have clarity and you may see this differently than you've ever seen it before. And maybe for the first time, you will recognize that what you're trying to get from somebody else, they were never designed to be able to give you. And so God says, I want you to bring it to me for the first time, maybe in your life. And recognize Jesus dropped the expectations for you. I want you to drop the expectations for them. And they're not worthy. They don't deserve it. They may take advantage of it. But it is the best option that you have going forward. And when you do this, it invites all of the power, all of the presence, all of the peace of God into that relationship to potentially be able to restore, reconcile, and redeem it in ways that you're not going to be able to do on your own. And so trust yep. me. And so as we close, that's just what we want to pray over you. So I'm going to let you just pray over those listening to the unfiltered radio online in the house this morning. Yeah, maybe you just need to like actually do the physical act of opening your hands right now before Jesus and just almost releasing, um, even in this moment, some of the anger, frustration, bitterness, guilt that you've carried. Um, but would you just join me in prayer, Jesus? We just thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together. And God, we're just um, so humbled by the fact that you gave the person that was the most important to you, Jesus Christ, 
to save us. And God, we don't need to be looking for our identity in anyone else. You are our identity. The fact that you gave what was most important to get us. And Jesus, I just pray for every individual out here. I'm not sure what relationships that they're walking through, that they're just absolutely um, feeling helpless in, that they feel like they're at their wits end, that they feel like they've hit a dead end. God, maybe they've been so hurt and bruised in the past and they don't even know who they are anymore. And God, they don't know if they have worth. They don't know if they have acceptance, love. First of all, God, I pray that you would meet them in the middle of that pain, that you would remind them that you love them so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins. And God, just give them the courage to release and to surrender the pain that they have to you to pray honest prayers. God, I pray that they would come to understand that you are patient, that you are kind, that you are loving. God, you know every little bit about us already. And sometimes you're just waiting for us to be real with ourselves. God, maybe we've been ignoring, we've been running, we've been going from person to person instead of honestly facing in ourselves the hurt and the pain that we feel. And so God, I just pray that you would help us to make the choice to be humble, that you would help us to make the choice to lean in to you. And that, God, we would surrender our hope, dreams, and desires to you. That we would surrender our hurt, our fear to you. And that we would take a step back and watch you do something incredible. God, we love you so much. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.